Hi there, and welcome back to The Fuse Show. My name is David Tran, and I'm the co-founder of Exfusion.io and the co-host of this show. Today, I'm joined by um, Ilyas Beshimov, and he's the co-founder and head of product at Silential.ai, a Series A startup in Silicon Valley, offering AI-powered recruitment services. Thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you for having me, David. So I recognize you've been in the startup space for, for a while. What makes you so passionate about tackling the current challenges you're currently tackling? Thank you. Actually, I think being in startup space is, is what made me especially excited about working on Silential. And that um, my you know kind of first for entrepreneurship was actually you know founding a company out of college, and it was in the healthcare space because I was studying economics. And if you remember when Obama got elected, he was throwing a lot of money into healthcare space for adoption of electronic medical records. And to me, it felt like, oh, exciting, because like, there's not so much data that we can analyze and build regressions. Because, you know, when somebody is studying economics and you say you're going to give more data, it's like crack. Like, yes, this is it. More data to try through. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was very excited. And started trying to learn about space, when the data is going to become available, what's interesting. Try to I remember actually reading a law that, you know, what is a kind of, what kind of uh, medical, uh, electronic medical system must be to be able to qualify for the stimulus money. And what I realized mm-hmm. was the language about interoperability was extremely weak. There are no standards, no definitions, no requirements, no cases. So my hypothesis was, which unfortunately, now, you know, 12 years uh, hence, is, unfortunately came true that most records went from, you know, on doctor's office on the wall in a hard binder to now solid databases. It's, you know, they're traveling. And it's still hard to get you access. It's not... Uh, so my idea was like, well, what if I build something that can help to become interoperable and standardized so that I can release an API to build smart application about it? Because around the time, I remember, you know, also it fascinated me how I remember using WebMD one, one day and one of the ways to profile yourself, there's like a, you know, outline of a man and click where it hurts. It's <laughs> like, well, if that wasn't actually any, any good information, it's hard. And I remember I also had allergies and I tried to look up something, but then like I'm supposed to type something that I can't spell. Right. And though it's my record, I remember having a hard time trying to access it to figure out so I could Google it to figure out how to have those hay fevers. Like, I can build it. So, and it, I was looking to build a company. Like, this is a thing, something that worthwhile to solve. Let's try to do it. And since then, you know, the startup, you know, we prayed for a few years, raised some money, didn't work out, and I went to work in different companies, mostly startups. And each experience, what happened over and over again is, even though I loved what I was working on, Mm-hmm. the job, the company was never what I thought it was going to be when I was interviewing. And it hmm. never really came out of malice on the company trying to sell me to judge. No, no, not all. Just because it's hard. It's hard to define, hard to represent It's uh, what it's going to be. And especially when it's outside, when I interview, which is, again, hard to really define yourself, uh, what to give, it a, give anybody a taste of what it's going to be like, you have very little information, especially startups, of knowing where you're getting into, except maybe a few people have LinkedIn profiles that you look up and say, well, maybe I have connection. I can ask how to work with those people. But really, that's it. At the same time, um, uh, for a few years, uh, you know, after you know working Zing and Scope, I spent a few years uh, doing consulting, helping startup build their you know their product teams, remove their products, and a lot of them wanted me to join full time. Which is like again, having worked with them, like I I love them. Thing was exciting. It's not something I want to do. Having experienced it, it's not that you know there's anything magical. That's not what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, and around this time, I realized, like, I read an article that just showed that, hey, A, we work so much in America and the rest of the world, right? <laughs> the culture of alcoholics. Uh, it's especially also a lot of ours, you know, working from banking to startups. Also, in startups, we know it's a very high-touch environment, you know, of how you have to parade, how the breadth of responsibilities to take on. And at the same time, uh, a separate study showed that the majority of people, if they changed, you know, if they went to a big job, a big company, go work for Google, work on Facebook, you earn more money than if you work on startups, right? Because most startups are not going to fail and your equity is not amount to anything. So I'm like, well, on right. one hand, we are working a lot in a very difficult environment and we're going to earn less at the same time and we know nothing about what we're getting ourselves into. There's not even a help, right? There's still, if you're looking for a job, the best experience you have is going, uh, you know, Indeed or LinkedIn and keyword title match. That's how you start for jobs. I'm like, well, hmm. that's awful. <laughs> with, with all the we have available, like, that's not good. <laughs> like, I would love to work with that. Uh, and I went and, you know, um, discovered the company called Good & Co. That's built, cult, you know, quantitative culture graph, um, you know, harass you until he hired me. Uh, and I think we built pretty, you know, uh, impactful products there where, 
we could actually measure cultures of companies so that once you say you have few offers, you can go check yourself uh, around uh, and see where you fit best culturally. Because culture, we all agree, like it's an important aspect, but nobody can define it. Nobody can put a finger in it. Right. Can check, like, what is it? It's very amorphous thing. That's very important. Loose. It's very loose. But you know what it is. Well, we were a favorite to find it. Spending time in Gunaku, I realized, like, well, while this is uh, an important prism to it, uh, I think the, the culture aspect is very, very important, I think it's wrong sequencing in terms of how to find yourself the next career. And again, American careers, mm-hmm. what we do is so important, especially in Silicon Valley, especially, you know, in tech. Uh, it's such a part of our identity, our life. Uh, functionally, I think that's where it should start. And once you once have five, say, seven different options, and yes, and you are unbeveled between them, then check culture, what if it best with a team, with a hiring manager, whatever, to see which as an additional guiding point to what you should choose. But you should start with function to identify. I mean, an example I give is like, well, David, you're an entrepreneur in your companies. Imagine you work in a company where you fit with the best bodies, you fit culturally, fit values, but you do manual data entry all day. Mm-hmm. The entrepreneurship is like, you got to hate your life, even though you love everybody you work with, right? Because like, this is goes to currency. So yeah. it's like, well, functionally, we need to solve it to people. Uh, uh, and that's how, and again, serendipitously, I met my co-founder, Andrew, and he has incredible uh, background in terms of building, machine learning, you know, data, uh, you know, like public data, but like unique, uh, accurate data products that when, you know, we, we spoke, uh, we had the same visions and values of what we're trying to build, mm-hmm. the vision we had, and you know, how we're trying to approach it. Like, well, let's re- really take our time and build Silential to solve it one day. How'd you meet your co-founder? So uh, it was very serendipity. Uh, so the when I was working at the previous company, Good & Co., uh, I helped them do due diligence. It was, it was, we got acquired by a big German enterprise, uh, called Stepstone, and they asked me to do due diligence on a couple of other companies uh, because my expertise in product and the HR space. And they also asked me, okay, if you see any other deals, like any other interesting companies, like please, you know, could you introduce us potentially to us? You know, hmm. Maybe we could be partner with them, invest in something. So once in a while, and because I also love meeting people, now I have an excuse to go to try to network and talk to people because I truly have a lot of potentially help with them. So I would go to AngelList, hmm. you know, every couple of weeks just to see. Uh, what's happening, you know, in the recruitment space. And I just saw this, uh, like, new thing popped up called, uh, called Salentil, and the Andrew just left his, uh, looks like his job at Lattice Engines to start a Salentil. And look at his background, and I'm like, oh, this is, for the very few people in the recruitment space who have such a deep technical expertise. Mm-hmm. And he also clearly has been an engineering leader um, for many, many years, so he actually understands the aspects of recruitment deeply as well. Uh, so I'm like, well, let me go meet him. So when we met, all right, I, we quickly figured out that, hey, we do have very, very similar philosophies uh, in terms of what we're trying to build. I think that the career space should change that as opposed to saying, like, well, let me introduce it to my parent company. Like, look, let's join forces. Let's build something together. What are some of these philosophies and values that you had in common? I think the, the biggest one is that it's important to understand is like uh, to drive a two-way fit uh, hmm. in terms of matching. Because uh, a lot of consumer kind of recruitment services are based in terms of serving the consumers first because, well, that's yes. a lever. But yeah. that's done in a way that really fits the best with the hiring company. Versus, or, or at the same time, a lot of uh, recruitment, anything enterprise or recruitment and HR products really serving their customers, the enterprises. Are they actually sending around the experiences, the values to the candidates? Well, not really. Right? Hmm. I think that if we figure out how to do the two-way matching street, no matter who's paying us, no matter what's the interaction, if we still maintain the two-way matching requirement in anything, I think this is where we're going to find the optimal solution to this, you know, careers problem. And it's truly a huge problem. When was the last time you had a friend who said, I went to recruit look for jobs that had a great experience, right? It's a soul-sucking, it's a terrible, it's a, uh, uh, it's a ton of work experience. At the same time, when was the last time you, you met a recruiter who was loving uh, his life and recruitment and everything else? Like, it's also difficult for them, right? It's just, it's a, not a great process. I think hmm. really ensuring that it's a two-way magic street, I think that's what we're trying to do. Uh, and two is uh, what we talk about. Like, we want to do two things. One is we want to help people accelerate their potential because there's so much of career services uh, today or how people approach their planning is so much efficiency is lost on it or so much noise introduced mm-hmm. that you are really missing out on a lot of opportunities that you just never discover because everything else is covering it up. 
right? Like it, you really have to be searching for needles in a haystack and um, helping people uncover those needles in a haystack, right? Removing all the noise, we believe will help people accelerate their potential. Like whatever their capabilities trajectory, it can always, you know, uh, be maximized as a full if there are no this, you know, subjective and efficient uh, barriers are not in the way. So something you mentioned earlier is you made fun of LinkedIn for how it's like kind of somewhat, or it is primitive for like, for companies can use to like find the appropriate candidates. And it's funny that we make fun of it. I, I make fun of it internally too. And the funny thing is LinkedIn is still a major step up from what existed prior, literally like <laughs> a bunch of people submitting their PDFs, sometimes even like printed forms to an employer <laughs> to look for a job. Like, dang, that definitely didn't scale. LinkedIn is like a, at least a 10x improvement from there. And I like to believe there's at least a hundred X improvement available on top of LinkedIn. <laughs> Um, what do you think still remains in the world of combining technology and recruitment? Well, so, so the funny thing is, uh, actually, you mentioned LinkedIn. <laughs> like, you know, it is a huge step up. I think LinkedIn solved a lot of problems that we had. LinkedIn and a lot of single-payers players actually also introduced a lot of new job, uh, new problems that mm -hmm. kind of shifted. Right? Yeah, so it's funny you mentioned it, right? Uh, before LinkedIn or the job boards, you know, right? Print out your resume, go door to door to companies, and the charity department is like, please call me if you have anything, right? Because that was, <laughs> that was because, you know, uh, go door to door, classifies, maybe billboard. That's how you lose for a job. The problem was like, well, there is uh, no good no good distribution of information. Right? Now came, you know, the, all the job boards, the dices, the monsters, now, uh, you know, the indeeds, the LinkedIn's. Now all the information is available online. And now mm -hmm. you don't know what's right, what's wrong, what's good. And I think really the next step up uh, from LinkedIn is remove all that noise and personalize. Like, look, there's a there's a world of this, you know, million potential jobs available that you might come as a search if we were to do a search. But let me remove the ones completely relevant and the ones left. Let me stack rank them from the best to worst, given mm -hmm. for you specifically, which has to do is with what you're interested in, what's available, and also what you get to qualify. Right? For example. Um, I think a big part that's missing that we're actually trying to solve in the slide is that uh, people have different uh, uh, expertise, proficiencies, capabilities, right? And just because on paper and keywords you meet this job doesn't mean you can actually pass the bar. Right. right. So, but then, because there's no such understanding, showing you a lot of opportunity that look on paper correct, but actually might be too hard for you is in a way doing disservice. Like, I'm not the one to remove anybody's aspirations in any way. Like you can always find them, but if it's truly potentially, uh, high, you know, beyond capabilities, then worst thing could happen is that they would want to speak to you because then you're going to waste so much time talking to them and thereby missing out on something else. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one part of it is we try to identify like where is something we can maximize something for them. I mean, can everybody go work for, you know, for the toughest, you know, top, most finest, really hard to recruit startups in Silicon Valley or no, right? I mean, a lot of people in Google right now, they wouldn't have qualified when Google was in an early stage startup. I mean, everybody knows they had an insane hiring bar, right? It's just, that's, I mean, that's the reality of um, the landscape market. So I think mm -hmm. factoring that for candidates to really identify the best opportunities for them that can really relevant help with the best of the career move as they can get. I think that's what's really missing in the recruitment space. It is the next level that we're, uh, we're enabling. So you, you touched on it lightly, but I want to know if you can go deeper on like the fact that everyone who's ever been an employer knows that they'll get a giant stack of PDFs or some forms or go through some application tracking system. And you have to just like read through these, spend like a few seconds on a piece and figure out like, <laughs> does this pass the check? Does this not pack the check? And I imagine like it starts creating this like silly game where people start stuffing keywords and like, <laughs> like, like languages that they know, or like experience in like, or like metrics that may not have, like, it's hard for people to stuff so many like keywords, metrics and whatnot onto their resume, just to make sure they don't get passed by the automatic filters that check for certain things. Like, how do you think the appropriate way to do it in the future is? Yep, yep, absolutely. <laughs> and the funny thing is some of the resumes I've seen that uh, have a lot of keywords, like tiny font and white, so that and it's completely irrelevant. It's purely make sure that no matter what it is, you try to come out because it's on it, right? But when there's a human reason, it's not there. <laughs> uh, and to be honest, to those people, I say, like, well done. You figure out a system and you get that's what's called web intelligence. I had a person like this, I'm like, I don't think anything you fit. I will speak to her, I will help you because clearly there is something to you. <laughs> I think the way to approach it is, well, the way I try to like to think about like, well, what 
as opposed to like what is the next step is well what is this the world that we want to be like in the next 10 years, right? I'll kind of walk backwards. And what I want to take in years is, for example, say, here's what would be my dream to be. Like, you know, that if I can make it happen in the next 10 years, I'll die a happy man. Uh, uh, somebody say, named John, sitting in my company, he wants to say, Daisy said, like, okay, I've, you know, I've been learning a lot, or I've been doing well in my work, I've been taking classes, upgrading my skills, I'm ready to take on the next challenge. He comes on Central site, he presses the button, and immediately start popping up calendar invites for him for first round interviews with hiring manager at a different companies. He didn't have to specify mm-hmm. location, work, skills, or anything else. And it's already first round interview. Wouldn't mm. that be a wonderful world? I love I love the way you're thinking. I love I love imagining the ideal and working backwards to see how we can make it a reality. <laughs> so <clears throat> this is what uh, I think we're moving towards that. We will have whether it's going to be slight or somebody else. This is what we, we, we're going to get to, and I wanted to. Uh, I want to play my part in making it happen. Uh, hmm. So, if that's what we're moving towards, then well, what what is needed to get there? And I think what's really missing is that from all the different tools the career service available right now, if you see more deeply, uh, they're kind of they are process management tools from ATSs to even knowledge bases, right? They're different classes, but what's missing from them? An understanding about the person who is in the process, who gets tested, who goes to an ITS, who gets something. Yeah. It's the person's part is missing. Because nothing, none of it is personalized and tailored to you. Because while, you know, we, you know, well, you know, we think about, oh, well, I need to hire engineers, I hire marketers, I could hire, you know, f- you know, field technicians and a specific role and letter, pigeonhole and put a pillow. Like everybody's individual, everybody's path, uh, what, how they came to this. So it needs to be personalized for it to be able to happen what we're describing in 10 years. So the important thing is to try to start creating um, um, is understanding about the person and tracking it. So tracking people through their careers what they are, what they're doing, so that mm-hmm. whenever they interact with anything that has to do with career aspects, from like, hey, I'm trying to learn some new skills for my next journey, or better yet, before I, I learn new skills, let me figure out what it could be the next steps for me. Like in five years, what do I want to get to? The industry, the role, the function, location, whatever people may have preference. What are different paths available and what do I need to learn? Let me learn it. And therefore, when I go through careers, interviews, how can we tune to that as well? So really understanding about the person that's really missing. And that's partially mm-hmm. like what I'm happy about building here at Slantel is we are building, we call this the talent graph is, because we are graphing right. the people and trying to deeply understand to them so that one day we can act as a personalized career coach. Right? Career coach, I think, is great if, you, if it's a good one. Right? Mm-hmm. But majority of us cannot afford a career coach, let alone a good one. <laughs> um, and the, one of the great things about care coaches, it's not the unique knowledge because with the internet, everything you want, want to have access is available online. What career coaches play a role uh, these days, especially graduates, is they understand you and they tell you what you need specifically. It's tailored to who you are specifically, not to this mm-hmm. uh, representative on average group like you. No, you specifically, you're right. David, right? What's missing? Um, this is what's like, uh, I think, the core of power technology is what we want to enable. Whether it be again extension of the service we built or somebody's built on top of our API, like understanding of you as a person is that hmm. anything that's being put together is tailored to you. Uh, and I think that's really the next evolution in career recruitment services that you know the vision that we're hoping to get to is going to get enabled by. And and do you imagine that users themselves are going to go onto the platform and input like their experiences and what they want, or is it more like going to be inferred based on? some other data source. I'm trying to put it together in my mind. Like, how do we reach the point of personalization at scale unless there's a lot of individual level data? Yeah. Oh, great, great question. And I think it's needed. It needs to be both. Okay. Um, Right now we are, you know, fully built on available public data. And even then, right, if you approach in a smart way, we're able to make very accurate uh, recruitment service and build our tangible basis that but really in a combination conjunction with both we are uh, i think what i'm describing can be mostly enabled because certain data i cannot get from you like i can infer about your preferences but i can know for sure what you told me uh especially you know some granularity if again if you specify or have a way to test is going to get enabled certain elements we can infer we could learn from and if we're just limiting to one or another i think we're either missing it also 
if we're limiting to one thing, also the most path people take in recruitment services is based on as information is provided, but nobody wants to provide a few information until you're big, right? Like people give it to LinkedIn because of value. Until then, like why would I spend time on it? But until you spend time, yeah. it's like chicken egg problem. Right. Um, so certain information, let's remove the need from uh, a user if it's available somewhere else from having to input to use. Hmm. Really, like let, let like every like let me learn tell things to you based on everything you do, right? I mean, you feel like you 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 make this uh, podcast show. There are videos, right? We potentially can analyze to get to know deeper uh, deeper understanding. Do you want it to re- would you want it to retype or upload transcripts or videos to the side just so we can have this knowledge? We're like, well, that would suck. <laughs> no one's gonna do it, right? And we're not gonna achieve the required impact. But if I can identify it somewhere else in conjunction with something, provide this hmm. is what um, I think the how we can aggregate enough data to be able to truly personalize it to each individual person. So flipping the tables around in terms of like the employee employer perspective, if an employer is trying to look to work with you as a recruiting service, how do you know which engineers are like the top for their priority list mm-hmm. based on what already exists as public information? Like I imagine there's a lot of engineers out there that don't have much on the internet. <laughs> That's true. They do, uh, especially if you uh, uh, rely on just one single source. Right? If you are able to yeah. rely on multiple ones, right, then you can, you know, come create more. And actually, one of the challenges, you know, especially with, when you rely on public data, is starting point. Like, how do I know that, you know, David say on YouTube, and David on Stack Overflow, and David on Twitter is the same data, mm-hmm. right? And uh, and it's the it's not an easy challenge to do it well accurately because you can either be very, very strict in algorithms, in which case you don't have very poor data set, or it can be very lax and then you have very, you know, dirty data, which is again, right? It's just wrong. <laughs> so I, I think part of what we're building out is like, because, uh, and I wish I could take it for, but it's actually, uh, it's one of the areas that like Andrew has built up a lot of products like this to be able to uh, build a product that perform really well based on such a big constraints available that I think other companies mm. are able to to solve. And it's not a trivial thing, especially when it's, it's, you know, it's a startup, right? Could Google do it? Yeah, absolutely can with their resources and money, but for a startup, it's hard, right? And um, yeah. it's important to be able to think to have an expertise understanding to solve that. Um, but it, you can, uh, but you can also, you know, you can make in, even when you do have valid information, you can make inferences in terms of what you have. And you, of course, it's going to differ based on how much information available, but you can also infer what uh, you shouldn't do is go to people with completely wrong proposition. Because that's right. I mean, especially if you spoke to your engineer friends, I know you have a lot of them. How often does a complaint recruiter say, like, they offered me this role. I have never done it. Like, how is this relevant, right? <laughs> and you cannot fully blame recruiters for it because, well, they're not engineers that wouldn't know it. Like, even if you write an offer, uh, even if you write a lot of information, how do they know, right? It's not easy, uh, especially very little. Uh, I think as lo- you, if you have at least understand the basic requirements, of like what is their role, right? Are they back and front of full engineer, right? Our focus right now on uh, software engineers and sales, right? Because we want to tune the algorithms to be accurate enough mm-hmm. for vertical. I think that's the only way to really take mm-hmm. it to the next level. So we start focusing on, on these two verticals. We start with them with engineering. So far, it's like, well, let's just figure out a few back and front stack or full stack so that if you are, you know, a network engineer who works with C and C++, I don't come to you and say, would you like to be a mobile engineer working Objective-C? Not the same. <laughs> uh, so I think as long as you solve that, then um, when you provide you know, um, that basic current passes, you may not always be accurate, but people are actually open to listening, people are able to reevaluate mm. their understandings. And after you know, we approach the engineer for different customers several times, it now we, we actually can start zeroing in of roughly preferences I may have, right? Because I type, picked it for a big company, middle, small, or early stage. Let's see what response, type of industry, right? And that becomes an additional data point that you can factor in to identify what people want. But uh, if I'm thinking like, well, what is the, really the steady state of a product? is actually what you mentioned, like, yeah, well, one day we do need to enable to learn feedback from people themselves directly because even if what I learned about your past, it does not fully define what your preference are now going forward. Yeah. Right? Maybe somebody interested in crypto. If I really based on the past, before crypto was big, I could never guess somebody's interested in crypto because, right, I'm only looking based on your past historical data. So at some point, you're right. like, if you have something new that's not reflected, tell me now, right? Uh, you know, if you're interested now in drones, like, and you've never worked in there, I would not be able to guess, but you can tell me. 
but as long as if you tell me you're in drones, I can actually identify what is drones and hyper relevant and uh, to I guess to your interests. Like that's I think that where we're beginning to approach where always understanding what to produce that's relevant to each individual uh, job seeker. So we've talked about a lot of high level details as it relates to recruiting. Since you're the head of product, how do you think about product for your company? Like in terms of roadmap for this quarter to next quarter, what is the most, what is the, some of the, like some of the high priorities that you have in your mind in terms of like what can be achieved within call it three to six months time? <laughs> uh, thank you. Uh, the way I guess we approach defining priorities, like one thing that we do have a long-term roadmap vision, right? That's, you know, 10 what what's the future 10 year? Actually, that's part of our vision. Like this is what we're gonna get, like so what a different immediate step we can get into it. Um, kind of, and always trying to walk backwards to understand like what is the next water we must enable. Um, and our philosophy is like each individual quarter, you know, especially, you know, being in an enterprise space and having customers, some really big impactful customers, I got to do everything can to deliver for them and make them happy, right? And that might be someone's out of left field. I got to enable it. But um, what, and so there's always going to be requests coming in, but no matter what, we also make sure that each quarter we deliver something big, right? And, hmm. and, and as we've discussed, like as we scale and hire our team, we can increase how many big things we deliver per quarter. We're still in a small team. Teams of France still one, but I want to be like, I want to do hmm. now two big things, like three big things that when I get to, but at least no matter what, this is one thing we're focusing on. So that it, it is needed to be able to always ask the question, like, should we build, because should we be building this? Does that help either the, this number one big thing we're moving towards, or does it really help to make sure we kill it for our customers? Uh, hmm. And if it's not one of those, so we're not sure, or we are, you know, we can't even, you know, put a stake in the ground uh, in terms of what we think is going to impact to do it, push it back, right? <laughs> okay. Then, like, let's delay it. It sounds like it could be a big priority. So that's what we, how we approach in terms of prioritizing what we're, you know, uh, building. Do you have a public roadmap you're willing to share for about the next, like, one to two quarters? Uh, not fully, but what I can tell you that is uh, we are trying to make our customers more and more, more efficient in that what the way we currently work is that is we actually don't have a customer facing product. We hmm. provide equipment service and we do everything ourselves based on our product. I see. I see. Um, and the reason we chose this path actually was part of the pivot. We initially started building a SaaS tool and hmm. what we quickly realized, well, first of all, it doesn't solve the core problem because if somebody has a hard time hiring, their solution not as a tool, the solution is worn by you through the door. The tool is a hope that it will improve you, help you make more efficient, that you can have more people coming through the door, but it's not necessarily the core solution. I'm like, well, what if we go yeah. back to the core solution, right? Actually give you people who want to speak to you. But two is what we <laughs> realize that it, to make something really accurate, uh, given the uh, diverse nature of each individual people's background, and when we provide, try to do a match that's a two-way street and personal to each person, each company, it's hard. It requires a lot of iteration learning. And if we are just providing a tool not staying firsthand and not viewing the recruitment, the quality, we're not going to be able to hmm. improve as fast. So actually, so, uh, because that's how we're going to be able to train the cores that we have to be an accurate enough to produce results. So I, what I can share about our, our roadmap, with like, well, right now what we help companies is that, well, if you need to recruit, how do you identify people who are uh, matching relevant, interesting to you that come in and then, which is, I'll say, arguably even harder. Well, how do you get them to talk to you? Because even if they're a match and, and the people you were, uh, in, honestly, even not just good people, there's all engineers right now really being spammed left and right because of insane demand. How do you convince them to talk to you versus to 10, 20, 30, 50 other companies talking to you? Like my engineers uh, at Slantil, because I'm, I'm looking at their LinkedIn to understand like what does the landscape look like? No joke, they get pinged between 50 to 100 times by different companies a week. Hmm. Please speak to me. Uh, so how do you break them? How do you convince them? And if we do that, well, we help you do this, but there are other sources of candidates, right? Well, people apply. You mentioned like, hey, you're going to become part of, uh, you apply and you try to tune and hack your resume in a way that you get uh, set up the filter so you don't stay in a black box. So it is, that's true. Right. It is a black box. Uh, well, what if we actually help companies to say, of 100 people who are applied, who are the top, who are the three people you actually should speak with, who are very, very relevant to this role, and better yet, who are three people that are relevant, they're not really a good fit for this role, 
but they're fit for another role. So talk to them. Maybe they're <laughs> open. And chances are they're open because I think another problem with career space is that job descriptions are awful. Right? The the <laughs> the application trackings are black. They're black box of or you know like black hole rather black hole of where the resumes uh, you know go to die. But partially a lot of job descriptions which are that candidates don't know if they're applying for the right one. Um, hmm. uh, frequently, you know, if, interesting enough, uh, uh, my wife works at Google and she refers people to Google. What she constantly uh, advises them and showed me is that a lot of jobs at Google are written in a way that uh, it looks like it's a mid-level position at most companies and it might be extremely senior at Google, like what would be kind of director. Right. But a person applying, they wouldn't be able to tell it. Neither hmm. by title description or anything else. So of course, they apply, they get rejected on what's going on, or they apply, and of course, never even get a response. They never hear back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is really, really the worst case. So it sucks for applicants. It's, it sucks for companies because, well, so many people apply to spend your, and you have to spend a lot of time reviewing everybody who applied if you don't want one of those companies who just never responds, uh, or you don't, and then you actually miss really good people applying, right? And if you then hmm. go pay external recruiter to hire this engineer, then, well, it's like 30, 50, 50 to 50,000 dollar mistake per person, right? Which is, uh, it's uh, a lot of money starting and yeah, adding up. Um, so, uh, so that's type of things we begin to think like, what is this talent graph, the core that's powering our recruitment service? Where else can we enable it to help better customers in other areas of recruitment? Where do you feel like society at large and maybe even the tech industry at large has underappreciated the use of AI in recruiting? I think there's... Um, I think there's a misunderstanding in terms of how to evaluate the impact of AI in terms of what people are expecting out of AI and what it should do. Hmm. Here's what I mean is, uh, on one hand, yes, is um, there could be problems with uh, biases, right? Now diversity aspects right. were beginning to be more, you know, more of a hot topic to discuss and actually make an effort. Um, but doesn't that doesn't mean you need diversity that's an issue there? Well, not necessarily. Right? There, um, there could be a lot of instances where application where it has actually that's not really an input data in the first place, or it, that's, you may not be able to draw such inferences to uh, to impact any decision making in a wrong way or a moral way. So I think that's uh, like there's universal fear even where there shouldn't be. Two is hmm. when in terms of like how how strong or effective it is, and people expect a, uh, for AI to be accepted. I think it needs to be two, three times better than, um, um, than say, human equivalent. Hmm. Otherwise, it's deemed not worthy. Well, objectively, that's not really the way to approach it. If AI can do it 10% better and it costs you way less, that's already improvement it's worth using it. It doesn't right, mean it's right. not good. They're like, no, it's like, what is uh, the best you can... If it, that is the thing, if you're trying to break AI, it's not about who does the job. It's like, what is the best you can achieve? And whether it, you know, if you look at the value efficiency, whatever the metric trying to optimize relative to costs, mm -hmm. that's what we're trying to get to. Whether it's AI, human really shouldn't be, the, shouldn't be a factor. But it's not how people think. And mm -hmm. I think that's potentially, potentially stifling adoption, more broader tool that can do a lot of goods because of such misperception. But on the other hand, maybe it is whipping people like me to make sure I do produce something like two, three, five times better so that we can now make the sweeping changes one day to enable it. So it's <laughs> hard. <laughs> I don't know. I, in this regard, I want to say this. It's, while I think it's not an objective way to approach it, I don't, don't necessarily think it's fully bad. <laughs> so when I took AI courses back at Berkeley, I was one of the, the common warnings they would give us is that there's like some side un, undesirable side effects of AI. For example, it's very common that in a lot of more like um, linear regression-based like AI that you're just going to replicate what's already existed in the past, and that leads to certain biases against more like diverse candidates. And I noticed on your website, one of the use cases was using a platform that would help encourage diversity. Can you elaborate more about that? Oh, absolutely. Um, so here's the issue: uh, is I think when it comes to diversity. One thing that people haven't fully, I think there's, there's no consensus. There's things that are still debate or other people are uh, maybe also trying to shy away, shy away from this conversation because of repercussions and people don't right. know how to talk about it. But 
when we talk about helping diversity candidates, are we talking about equity or quality? Hmm. Are we trying to help those who are disadvantaged or are we trying to ensure that your racial, gender, whatever other parameters right, right, are not right. used against you, are not biased against you? Hmm. Um, and on one hand, i say like, well, if certain systems says like, look, we provide your results irrespective of what they, you know, any, say, uh, racial or gender um, uh, pr uh, parameters so that are not surface, so that the decision making is not based on that. Well, is that good enough, right? Some people say yes, some people no. Uh, the second, well, it also means if you're really based on, say, your career performances, then, well, yeah, um, we might not, even not knowing uh, the full, uh, you know, ge uh, gender, uh, racial parameters underneath it, we might infer them based on, yeah, there's this magic categories. Uh, so if you have to buy it for strong people, well, allows them another diverse, it's not a diverse group, right? It's just, that's how, why we have a diversity issue. But mm -hmm. what we are able to do is actually truly uh, solve diversity that, well, to be able to have more diversity within your your companies, well, you need to go to a diverse candidate and say, please talk to me. But uh, how can you target them? So that's what our system enables. It can tell, like, look, if you really mm -hmm. want to try diversity, like, it's great that you should absolutely uh, produce enough uh, set processes within your current process so that you're not discriminating, you're not biasing against diverse candidates. 100% mm -hmm. you should do it. But you're still not going to have enough of them applying to be able to serve your company's diversity. So yeah, that's why you need to do proactive outreach to diverse groups and say, please talk to us. And there are very few uh, solutions out there, and there are even less that are actually effective to do that. We're one of them. Hmm. We can actually help you say, hey, do you want to practically target only diverse engineers to get on the radar uh, as a company for them to potentially come to apply to you? And that's what we enable companies that they, uh, the companies who truly want to change the diversity, not just prove that they are not biasing the diversity, but actually try to attract diverse talent. They are able to do it through our service. And when you consider recruiting for your own company, when you're looking for engineers, when you're looking for salespeople for Silential, like what are some of the things you value as a company leader? Like what are some of the traits you look for when you hire? Uh, so traits that we, we, we um, try over indexed at Lentil is humbleness and directness and autonomy. Hmm. It, of course, with, um, with, in terms of humbleness, like one thing that allowed the culture of building at Lentil is that uh, it's a very chill group of people who are just trying to build something. And it, uh, it would be surprised to anybody that a lot of companies, especially Silicon Valley, are very dramatic. There's a lot of drama, right? Even someone makes it to TechCrunch. I mean, that's, that's, you know it's bad when it's now. TechCrunch is constantly the drama happening within a company. And in a way, it's understandable because a lot of so much tech is driven by young people who are smart and driven, passionate, but also they're young and inexperienced. You know, and it will happen. And um, unfortunately, I, sometimes I, I, I experience I those environments. That's why uh, when we're building Silential, we are completely different. Mm -hmm. There's, uh, we have no drama, and like it's amazing. Uh, it's really focused on people who are positive and cooperative, who want to really help solve this uh, career issue thing. And I, that's my favorite type of environment. Yeah, <laughs> it, you know it's true. I think I think some people prefer drama. I can't know it. Even though they don't like that's where they thrive. <laughs> now me. <laughs> like to me that's a distraction i just want to oh, for sure, have yeah. a smart fun colleagues that we can say let's how do we solve this and that's what we focus on <laughs> um hmm. we also really value directors because um early in our early days we had a development office in china now it's fully dis ex expanded we have some operations there so we we've been you know silicon valley and china now of course u.s team is fully distributed we're going to continue with communication is hard uh it, it it's um exactly describe what you want is difficult, uh, especially if you layer different cultural backgrounds. And of course, they have for us, USC being from all over the place and now, you know, having a team in China. So that we want to have people who are, as mentioned, like, you know, really humble, nice, but also direct that we can have those conversations. We can sometimes say what would be perceived as harsh and worse environments and have it 
not aspire to anything else because we know there's no undertone, there's no agenda behind. There's really set from the point of view right. of helping you improve, helping the team improve and make sure that there is no miscommunication. That's from how we approach building product to how we communicate, discuss each other, everything. And I think directness without the right personality, I think, leads to a lot of unpleasant person, uh, places. <laughs> uh, work environments, again, uh, would not be a, a place that majority of people can work comfortably to produce the best mm. that they can produce. But I think the, I think the humbleness with the directness, that's a required combination to be able to create what we have created here. And also hard to agree with autonomy is that startups are hard. There's so many moving pieces, so many little things to build through is, to ensure that everything operates really well, you cannot have yet be everything top-down, defined, prescribed, thought through. Yeah, everybody should have like a mind of an autonomy to be able to build something, to own something, to review, to contribute things through at every you know every now every dial. Um, and I think that's really the required mindset for startups. Like as a startup, like. Uh, do I, am I good at writing specs? No, I'm, I'm, I'm decent, but I'm not the best. But even then, I think writing a spec that defines everything, it's A, it's hard. I'm not sure it's fully possible. But two, it would have it would take so much time. It's probably not a worth, uh, worthwhile yeah. opportunity if you have people who can own uh, different areas, who can think through, can understand the end value they're bringing. Uh, and... That's kind of one of those one of the third things that we try to screen for when we bring people on board. How long was it into the development of Silential before you're able to use a tool to hire people <laughs> for your own company? Oh, uh, it was fairly early. And, oh my God, it was awful. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, yeah, we very very bad, very very bad. Tell me about it. Um, uh, anything, you know, from misidentifying the right people, the right roles, like approaching people for the wrong role. And of course, either um, we, we, we try to permutate different things in an early day from like, hey, now based on these parameters, show me who's relevant. And I'm like, oh my God, none of these I want are relevant. <laughs> and a lot of them are not like, not even what I set up in my setup because how we build our models to identify people, I just played wrong, <laughs> all right? Mm-hmm. From simple, like, are they back in the front of you? Like, I want to start with a startup experience. Oh, wait, he works at a company we misidentified a startup. He never worked in the startups for once in his mm-hmm. life, right? But then I'm pulling this list of people. So every way you can think of, it broke. <laughs> that was, you know, uh, that's actually when, that was one of the, uh, realization to us uh, that we're actually providing the service, right? Be it, you know, how we approach for ourselves, for our customers, that, hey, uh, you know, the technology plus human in the loop allows me, A, constantly learn what I'm building and improve because if I'm not, I'm not getting enough of that feedback back. Uh, but two is, if I have human in the loop, if the system fails, I can also interfere and to ensure that the customers, no matter what, yeah, getting a yeah. result and experience. And, you know, if they're paying me money, I better well do everything I can to make sure they, they get the value out of it, right? And I think really the combination mm-hmm. of both, that's what we need to achieve. And I think it's in many areas I find um, AI could be applied more if people didn't go the route of like, we got to build a good automator, right? And ultimately, they're not producing anything because they die away. And uh, I think if they really approach it with human as a loop approach, they hmm. can actually probably provide better value result and give themselves time to improve their algorithms over time. So they have less, less human in the loop and now tearful automation. Uh, and uh, so, so that's early days was like, people wanted like, yes, it's awful, but we can make it work if we change how we approach it and we have, uh, yeah, you know, a human involved. And now, um, uh, and that's, I, I think it was fantastic. Uh, fantastic learning, fantastic turning point for us as a company. Uh, and I'm happy we persisted, not, have, not didn't think like, oh my God, we suck, we should, you know, turn off the light. This is awful. <laughs> How much longer from that point did you feel like did it take to improve the features, re-clean up some data before you felt like this is good? This is, I'm impressed with this. I'm ready to offer this to uh, others. Oh, uh, we started offering to others actually pretty early. Uh, okay. Pretty early, and uh, partially because because we wanted truly more real, tangible data to learn, right? Uh, and that's what we need to do. And it's really humans, right? We can, you know, uh, 
deal with a lot more mistakes in the middle. Uh, uh, but the big, I think it took us about a year and a half to actually switch to okay. our new model, which will kind of really has really taken off, which will allow us to raise a CRSA, uh, is we used to work as actually as recruiters, right? Only getting paid mm. 20%, you know, when somebody right, gets right. hired. So we're approaching everybody's sledge, thereby we could eat up a lot of mistakes uh, that yeah. we're making. At least uh, it's still in our name and we're not, you know, making our customers look bad, which is again, like we got to ensure that uh, our, we do everything to deliver fantastic service to our customers, including like, hey, we don't pay for mm. mistakes. So it was about a year and a half of us doing it, turning and improving it till we could turn it on now. And now we actually charge subscription service to our customers, how we approach, how we structure our service to, you know, really change dramatically. But it was a lot of work, a lot of iteration, a lot of improvements. And actually um, uh, several engineers actually kind of, uh, again, partially, you know, I think hiring the right people, retrained, stepped up to work on recruitment, become effective recruiters for a period of time to be able to better understand what does the landscape look like, what does the problem space look like to be able to then improve the, the, the product. So I think I'm more familiar with the world of engineering. It makes total sense that you can build AI to help identify engineers and to match them up with like appropriate companies. How about on the sales side of things? Like, how do you know of, how can you use AI and I guess public internet data and private data to figure out if someone's an actually a good salesperson and if they're a good salesperson for a certain niche? Mm, very, very good question. I think that's where it's, it's a type of matching problem actually that can only be solved with AI. Hmm. Uh, because humans just do not have capacity or time to factor in all the information that you can to be making the decision making. Well, for salespeople, for example, one of the first things to we can uh, step into to, to at least identifying who may have relevant experiences, like, well, let's first look at companies who have similar products from identical companies to yeah, roughly yeah. the similar space. Like if you're textiles with textiles, if you're hardware selling hardware sale, and if you're insurance, some sort of thing. Um, if you're textiles, well, text very wide, but are you serving, you know, you know, hundred bucks a month per seat subscriptions or a million dollars a month. Like what kind of products are they? They'll begin to segment. And as a human reviewing somebody's background that the companies have worked in, can you know all the companies? Probably not, right? <laughs> it's hard to identify. Especially like, well, you might know some top companies, but can you know all of them? Well, no, right? Because it all changes, differs. Can you keep track of all the information to identify? Of course not, right? Computer scanner. So we can start applying it there. Um, like At least like what is different clusters of the types of experiences that you can um, see that somebody might have something hmm. relevant. The second one is like, well, let's start identifying people based on performance. Well, if somebody's, I mean, uh, went from, say, account executives to senior account executives at Salesforce in, say, three years, five months, is this good or bad? Well, but if you Don't know have... all of them, you yeah. can see if the top 10% or 20 or it's the bottom 10%. And you can... Again, is that by itself a silver bullet? No, uh, but it's additional data point. You can identify. well, what about relative to all the kind of exists or big companies? Right? So, tracking a lot of this information across the whole sector, you start identifying a lot of signals. And what's exciting to me, but also frustrating, it's, a, it's there's no silver bullet. It's like death by a thousand cuts. <laughs> you have to factor in hundreds, thousands of little parameters that are small in their own magnitude, but if you do enough of them accurately, uh, an overall uh, picture begins to come out that you can start making decisions based hmm. on. So that's how in sales they start approaching. Or you can also start picking up a signal. It's like, well, uh, maybe this company has, you know, 50 salespeople, and you know what? Uh, you know, there's top performance, low performance, right? Nobody can be best salespeople. It's all going to differ. And plus, even when, uh, whatever, if everybody did one quarter, well, well, next quarter, the company is going to change with targets. So they're always going to be, you know, sub performance, one performance. Right? That's right. how the world of business works. Well, there could be an interesting, well, this company has 50 salespeople and 20 of them wrote on the LinkedIn proudly they did higher than their quarter. And the rest, mm. uh, 30 didn't mention a thing. Does it mean they didn't perform? Well, maybe, maybe not, but it's a data point, right? With something else. So this is where I think uh, tracking information and noticing it and inferring based on different elements, that's where AI can start making action because we're humans are just not capable of doing that. Uh, we just don't mm. have enough time. And uh, the last question I'd like to ask you, what's something you've learned in the past, call it six to tw 12 months that you wish you knew ahead of, like earlier in your career? <laughs> Mm. 
I think the it's not so much just six to twelve months; it's just a lesson I am constantly reinforcing in terms of how I'm building my team to how um, I think I constantly try to remind myself that like you need to try to always figure out how to bring value and what is the best value you can bring and mm-hmm. optimize for that and how do everything else. Right? We, okay. I think it's because I think it goes back what I, what I think was missing earlier in my career is I was looking for managers to be my mentors to tell me what is the most important thing and how to optimize around it. Um, to be honest, I think is it's rare when people actually meet good mentors. Good mentors are hard. Uh, partially right. because being a mentor is hard and, you know, so like not a lot of people can do it and I think few people would want to have capacity to do it. So, uh, and unless you can be really good at it, then I think trying to throw advice here, they might actually be doing disservice to a person because you might be misinforming them. Um, I think if you're constantly trying to answer that for yourself, whether you have mentors, manage anything, is you're not dependent upon outside factors as much to achieve, hmm. be it a career or your own company. Really figure out what is okay. one core value that can bring. And I think it matters whether whether you are an IC or a manager. It doesn't matter. Like, what are the core values that I'm bringing? And if you're doing uh, that great, of course, does that necessarily make your career full? Is there a lot of other external matters? But without this core, I think progressing, succeeding is hard. When you have that to you, then anything else addition you can learn from big companies, right? like a career making, managing app, all the stuff people talk about, is a becomes a lot easier if you're actually doing great because you know what your mm-hmm. fantasy you're focusing on. Um, so that's what um, I'm constantly reinforcing, reminding myself that like, hey, right now, what's the best thing to do? Maybe I can guide the product now. Next moment, like, well, maybe the best value is like not me focusing on product but trying to figure out to train the team or hire somebody, right? And, and especially early founder. This is, this is more critical things like you need to go hire. So right now, maybe like I need to, in certain times, um, we figure we get reached to the point like, well, we need to focus, uh, focus, uh, focus on now hiring again. Right? It's like drop everything. I need to bring a mar- great marketing person on board. Right? Recruitment takes time. We know ourselves. Our product doesn't do uh, marketing as well yet. Let me take it on. Okay. Well, I've been very thankful for this past hour. I had a lot of fun. I hope you did too. Uh, I also gained a lot of insights. I just want to leave you with an opportunity for our guests and our uh, Anyone who's watching this show, if they want to follow you along their journey, uh, what's the best way for them to do so? Uh, LinkedIn. Yeah, always. I mean, uh, my philosophy working with startups was if there's anything you do to help, I will help you. Right? If I have time hmm. or capabilities, I'm always happy to. Uh, startups are hard. Careers are hard. So I think if we can contribute to each other in any small way, we should do it. And if I have to. So uh, I'm always open, send me a connection on LinkedIn, tell me what it's about. And Anything can be helpful with that as well. Sounds good. And we'll make sure to have that link on the landing page. Thanks again for your time, Elias. Thank you, Dave. Really appreciate it.